0: From Podcast
1: One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. A few weeks ago, we started telling you the story of the Washington Field Office of the FBI.
0: FBI personnel are extremely motivated to defeat and mitigate the threats caused by our foreign adversaries.
1: We sat down with Assistant Director in Charge Nancy McNamara. We were interrupted at the time by the arrest of American Paul Whelan in Russia on spy charges. I promised we would get back to the interview and finish it. And that's what we're going to do on this program. Unfortunately, there's been a sinister twist to the story. The government shutdown. As we conclude our story on the Washington Field Office of the FBI, we pick the story up with the FBI Agents Association.
2: No one has received a paycheck for the last 30 days.
1: Tom O'Connor, its president, tells us about the devastating impact of the shutdown on national security in general and specifically the FBI.
2: Criminal, counterterrorism, counterintelligence, cyber. Every
1: single area of FBI investigation and work has been impacted. Coming up on this edition. ...of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia. Could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist.
3: D.C. is repeatedly
1: mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals.
3: Decryption successful. America
1: has a target on its back and on this program we investigate the threats the people behind them the agencies fighting them and the impact on you this is target usa the national security podcast i'm jj green previously on target usa episode 150 The Washington field office of the FBI is the second largest in the country. Approximately 1,700 people work there. This particular field office is responsible for the geographic area that encompasses the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. It's also responsible for investigating violations of U.S. law and violence against U.S. citizens in the Far East and the Middle East. While to some, internationally generated threats are normally perceived to be far more dangerous than those that originate here in the Washington area, recent activity suggests the U.S.'s enemies, or adversaries as some would prefer to call them, like Russia and China, are altering that script.
0: In in my opinion, uh, I believe the FBI uh, feels um, strongly that it's not that Russia and China have uh, been raising the bar. They raised the bar several years ago. We are already uh, behind the curve, so to speak. Uh, Both have very strong presence in the United States. Both have different uh, um, uh, types of operations and agendas.
1: Nancy McNamara, assistant director in charge of the FBI Washington Field Office sat down for an extensive, exclusive interview. The lion's share was about Russia and China, but there's much, much more to talk about. And on this program, we continue looking at what keeps her up at night and drives the FBI.
0: Yes, um, so as I mentioned, uh, any act of uh, terrorism or violence against the uh, District of Columbia uh, and or Northern Virginia Uh, But in addition, there is a significant uh, uh, violent crime threat in the D.C. uh, area. Um, As you know, uh, shootings are up. Considerably, this year, and we are working very closely with our local partners and MPD uh, to use federal charging uh, statutes uh, where we can to ensure maximum incarceration time uh, for uh, gang members and other violent uh, offenders. If we can keep them behind bars for longer periods of time, we can hopefully make uh, DC safer. The next uh, uh, issue, of course, is uh, fentanyl and opioid drugs. Uh, greater problem in northern Virginia, um, more so than uh, the district right now. Um, again, there's a little bit of China influence on the uh, opioid and fentanyl uh, problem, uh, and we are, uh, have expanded our task forces, our, our health care fraud, uh, and our gang and drug task forces who are working closely together, uh, and specifically in the eastern district of Virginia, the uh, U.S. attorney has added additional prosecutors to the team there to help process uh, and indict as many cases as possible
1: terrorism several years ago joshua school who was uh, i think special agent in charge of intelligence here at wfo just before he left to go to headquarters mentioned to me that not a day goes by that the threat stream is from 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 isis al-qaeda those terror terror groups not a day goes by that some information doesn't come up that includes the District of Columbia as an intended target or uh, an inst- a target they would like to engage. How does that go now? Is it the same? Has it changed? Is it lessened? What's your observation
0: now? Uh, that threat has not changed. Um, this region, as the National Capital Region, uh, is under- A constant uh, threat, whether it is from now um, um, international terrorism groups or domestic terrorism groups or those who wish to prohibit uh, and or um, eliminate uh, uh, people due to their um, civil rights. Uh, that is a continuing threat for the National Capital Region. Fortunately, we have uh, outstanding partners and we, who we work very closely with: uh, MPD, Park Police, Capitol Police, Secret Service, uh, and the list goes on. Um, and uh, our personnel are on 24/7. Uh, in the FBI, we assign our uh, strongest investigators to running down the leads that come in through the what we refer to as the guardian system. Uh, we have um, uh, over a hundred uh, task force officers who are partners uh, and work with us on a daily basis, uh, and wh- whose job it is is to do just that to make sure the uh, National Capital Region is safe from those threats.
1: Has the order flipped? Has the order changed of uh, the threat? I know um, w- we in the national capital region in the last couple of years has have seen an increase in the number of domestic threats, at least openly, open source, public domestic threats that we've seen. You know, at protests, this, this, that, and the other. Have they overtaken uh, the threat uh, from uh, international terror?
0: The international terrorism threat is still there, and I don't want to minimize that. But in my opinion, yes, uh, in recent years, the domestic terrorism threat uh, has been gaining ground on the international terrorism threat. Some of those domestic operators are influenced by our foreign adversaries. Um, but the um, use of social media, the development of the Internet has allowed uh, and facilitated many of those subjects uh, who wish to do harm has given them the opportunity to expand their reaches and um, that has become uh, more prominent in recent years
1: do you handle them differently do you handle the the uh, I suppose do you do you handle the the search for information um, the the approach to dealing with I mean these organizations are here in the US mm-hmm. and international terror groups are Abroad, by, by definition, but um, they may have operatives or, act, uh, or or sympathizers here. So, do you handle the domestic threat differently?
0: We do handle dif- differently uh, due to our federal laws, which are meant to protect us all as citizens. Uh, we are uh, frequently. Um, uh, restrained um, from taking certain courses of action. Uh, we, of course, want to uphold the Constitution and we have to be mindful that uh, there is freedom of speech. And whether we like the message or not um, does not mean that somebody can't go online or speak out uh, and speak about something that we uh, feel is inappropriate or, or wrong. It's balancing uh, that freedom of speech uh, with crossing the line of uh, hurting someone or um, uh, affecting someone else's civil rights, that uh, is where we come into action. So it's, I believe, much harder uh, in that um, vein. Also, because they are U.S. citizens uh, in the United States, uh, they have uh, greater protections afforded them that we have to be mindful of in pursuing and investigating those subjects.
1: What keeps you up at night?
0: Well, there are two things that keep me up at night. The first is an act of violence occurring in the Washington area of responsibility for WFO, which is the District of Columbia, and Northern Virginia. Uh, That encompasses Fairfax, Loudoun, Prince William, and Fauquier counties. And by acts of violence, uh, I mean any act of violence against the American public, Perpetrated by uh, someone affiliated with international terrorism, domestic terrorism, or frankly a lone wolf, or someone who might have some mental health uh, issues. The second issue that keeps me up at night is the safety and concern of our FBI employees. Uh, FBI agents, in particular, have a very uh, difficult job and and are often placed in dangerous situations. And Um, I uh, try to ensure that everyone goes home at the end of the day, uh, and that's critical for us. I do not want to lose uh, an FBI uh, life, uh, if possible, in the course of protecting and upholding our mission.
1: Have you ever experienced that in anywhere you've worked throughout your career?
0: I have not as uh, an executive uh, had that instance occur, although as head of the inspection division in my previous job, I had responsibility uh, for the teams that investigate all FBI shootings, uh, both intentional shootings and accidental shootings, and have uh, seen the unfortunate effects of of what happens when we do uh, lose an an agent.
1: How does that impact your people and then, of course, obviously your, your work?
0: It has obviously um, very uh, difficult and um, uh, hard impact on our personnel, uh, as well as our law enforcement and community partners, and uh, I don't want to exclude the the families of, of those victims. It's something that uh, we live with every day. I think most agents would tell you that they try not to think about that part of the job, um, but all took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution uh, with their lives, and all FBI agents are prepared to, to do that. Um, and we work very hard uh, in our planning and preparation for our arrests uh, to ensure that uh, we uh, take all the uh, um or maximize all the uh, safety precautions we can uh, so that uh, we execute the arrest with little or minimal loss to life.
3: I
1: had the uh, opportunity not too long ago to attend an event uh, that honored uh, FBI personnel who've lost their lives or have passed away for one reason or another. And I was able to... um, Observe the children of those people, um, and just the same, in the same vein, I've had the opportunity as well to learn and engage with folks from the special operations community and the CIA community, who've lost uh, agents. Or officers, and again, it's the family that you mentioned, and the children that are left behind. Is there any special message for these children, or for those people who've lost uh, folks uh, from from your community that you would like for them to know or to hear from you?
0: Yes, of course. Uh, the first message for any child who's lost a parent or a significant family member in the course of a law enforcement uh, action is that um, that we will never forget you and we will never forget what uh, your family member did for our country. Uh, the law enforcement community, whether it's uh, federal agencies, state or local, uh, all do an outstanding job of ensuring uh, that the families of uh, lost uh, uh, martyrs, law enforcement martyrs, are uh, taken care of, that uh, tuition and other expenses are paid uh, as they uh, grow. And I think a great example um, of the impact that that has that uh, these children um, often go into law enforcement uh, um, is uh, Ben Miller, who is a FBI agent, and his father, Mike Miller, uh, was killed in the line of duty here in Washington, uh, D.C., at MPD headquarters, along with another FBI agent. Um, And the fact that Ben chose to pursue the same career as his father is an example of uh, the commitment um, and their uh, uh, desire to uh, serve their country.
1: What's your biggest challenge?
0: My biggest challenge is making sure that the personnel at WFO, both agent, analyst, and Support have the resources and support they need to do their jobs. Do they? I hope so.
1: <laughs> How long have you been here now?
0: I've been here approximately eight months.
1: How much of what you want to accomplish have you gotten done, and what's on your agenda here?
0: This job and what I'd like to accomplish is really a never-ending uh, list. Um, in addition to to resources, Um, At my level, you need to consider facilities uh, and other um, behind-the-scenes issues that the public doesn't see. But this is a building, and this is a a business like any other other business. Our main concern is in um, recruitment. Uh, We are uh, continually looking uh, to hire uh, outstanding personnel who who want to serve their country uh, as agents, as analysts, and as professional uh, support. And filling and staffing our vacancies uh, is a uh, a constant challenge uh, for us.
1: So, as you heard McNamara, Her biggest challenge is making sure that all of the people that work at WFO have the resources that they need to do their jobs. A part of those resources is a paycheck. They're not getting it. And nobody in the FBI is getting a paycheck because of the shutdown. And when we come back, we're going to hear the unvarnished truth about how that is impacting the FBI's investigations and the people That work there when we come back on Target USA. The National Security Podcast.
3: Imagine the home you've always known sinking into oblivion.
1: We want to save a community, a way of life.
3: A Virginia island, population 460, is being swallowed by the Chesapeake Bay.
0: The first full-fledged town that's probably going to get lost to sea level rise in America.
3: Can disaster be stopped? Should it be? Shall the Lord... Destroy Tangier. Going Under, the story of Tangier Island. Available on Podcast One, iTunes, and at goingunderpodcast.com.
1: This is a Target USA moment. Episode 140. The Kremlin's secret squad of killers. March 1st, 2007. It was a rainy, cold night in Adelphi, Maryland. Paul Joyal was returning home after a meeting with a friend at Zola, the swanky restaurant attached to the Spy Museum in downtown Washington. After pulling into his driveway about 7.30 that evening and stepping out of his car. There were two men waiting for me in the bushes. He was attacked from behind. I struggled with uh, the first man, the assailant. Joyal, a former federal law enforcement officer, took his attacker to the ground. The assailant called out to his accomplice for help, saying something Joyal will never forget. He said, shoot him. One shot from a 9mm pistol rang out, piercing his colon and bladder. The lights outside his house flew on. His dog started to bark. Panicked, the assailants tried to end the encounter and Joyal's life. Then they came in to... Shoot me again in the head and the gun jammed. This has been a Target USA moment, episode 140. Download it, relive it. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA. This episode was designed to be the culmination of a two part interview with Nancy McNamara, assistant director in charge of the Washington field office of the FBI. Instead, What it's turned out to be is the conclusion of an interview about the work the FBI has to do and the beginning of our conversation about how the federal government shutdown has essentially impacted U.S. national security and specifically the FBI. So as we begin this part of the conversation, we do so with Tom O'Connor, president of the FBI Agents Association, and a grim story of how the shutdown has impacted U.S. national security and the work the FBI is doing and the people doing it. The FBI Agents Association has produced a report called Voices from the Field, and O'Connor broke down for us what that report says.
2: This report is uh, it's titled Voices from the Field, and it is just that. It is voices from agents across the United States uh, in explaining how the government shutdown has affected affected their operations and their personal lives as well as uh, the lives of thousands of professional support employees that work for the fbi and and keep this uh machine running you know, one team one fight and everyone at the fbi is affected by uh the lack of funding and uh the lack of paychecks for the past uh 30 days four that's four weeks and uh And that's a long time.
1: Okay. So can you put a specific number on the people that have been impacted?
2: Everyone in the FBI has not received a paycheck. Uh, That is agents. No one has received a paycheck uh, for the last 30 days. Um, We are continuing to work. We're continuing to make cases. We have thousands of cases across the country that agents and support employees continue to work. But without funding to the FBI itself, there is a a finite amount of money that can be used to forward these investigations for informant payments, for uh, all sorts of things that we have to uh, use money to forward our investigations. That amount of money is drying up.
1: When it comes to equipment, especially as far as CT or counterterrorism and all that goes... How's that going to impact you?
2: Well, it, uh, it goes across the board uh, that as the FBI uses the budget money that it has and has had since the shutdown started on December 21st, that amount of money, that amount of money is used to forward investigations in c- criminal, counterterrorism, counterintelligence, cyber, and uh, our job as FBI uh, agents investigating crimes and other uh, terrorism uh, is expensive, and as we utilize that money, uh, it's not being replaced. So, their FBI headquarters is working very hard to make sure that that money goes where it's most needed, but that money is is drying up and cases are being affected, and operationally, uh, we're not able to do what we could do back on uh, December 21st. It's, it's, it's common sense that as uh, you run out of funds, uh, you have to only utilize them in, in certain cases, and other cases are gonna be harmed by that. Every case, about- every case in the FBI is important. If you're a victim or uh, someone who's involved in that case, that case is important to you.
1: What about preparation? weapons and training and ammunition, that kind of thing.
2: All of these things, training has been has been cut back uh, quite a bit, um, and they're trying to get the, the life and safety training uh, to continue. But uh, any additional training, counter counterterrorism training for state and local officers, uh, I personally had a class that I've run for 18 years here in the Washington D.C. area, and because of the shutdown, I had 400 agents that were si- 400 local and state police officers that were signed up for this class, and it had to be postponed when uh, when the government reopens, we'll address uh, having a class again. But until then, um, we're not able to do it. So that's just one impact in one place. You can take this and put it across the United States.
1: How is this going to impact vulnerable populations?
2: Uh, well, vulnerable populations are where uh, a lot of crimes occur. So um, we want to be part of that community so that we can work with our task force partners and Uh, and influence the criminal element within those populations. And we want to try and catch the bad guys so the good people can go on and live their lives. Money needs to be spent for task forces to purchase narcotics, to put cases together, to purchase guns and get them off the street and put cases together to, to indict people for those crimes of drugs and guns. Uh, we don't have the money to do that. That has been cut back and is, is not what it was on December 21st.
1: Counterintelligence is a huge problem right now, especially as far as Russia and Iran and other countries go. So where does counterintelligence rank right now as far as concern?
2: Well, counterintelligence is as important as criminal or counterterrorism. And all of the programs operated by the FBI are being affected by the shutdown and the lack of money uh, in those programs. It's one pot of money. For one organization, we spend that money to forward our investigative efforts. Uh, and that can be criminal investigations, it can be counterterrorism investigations, and it can be counterintelligence, counter-intelligence investigations. And if there is money that is no longer there, Clearly, those investigations are going to be hampered, slowed down, and we're not going to be able to do what we do on a normal basis when the government is funding the FBI. And you also have to remember, J.J., that FBI agents and professional support employees have been working, doing their jobs, protecting the public, and doing it for free for 30 days. That's four weeks. That's now over a month.
1: When you put it that way, it's just very stunning. Are, are there some things I haven't asked you about that you think are important that you, that you want to talk about?
2: The government should be fully funded. The FBI and all of our programs should be funded. No victim, no case should go unfunded so that those victims and officers and agents that are working them can't do that job to their fullest. The agents on the street want to do their job to the fullest The people at headquarters want us to do that job to the fullest. We should be allowed to do that job to the fullest. It is a matter of national security that the FBI is not funded fully. And it is a matter of right and wrong that you have people working for a month, putting their lives on the line for free.
1: And we know this is having an effect on people personally. Are there any personal stories that you would like to and can share?
2: I can. I mean, I can uh, read one of the voices from the field when it comes to uh, that. If you would like.
1: Yes, please do.
2: Okay, this is from an agent in the Western United States, and these are agents who wrote into us with their personal stories and stories of how the FBI, not being funded, is hurting operations. But the ones that really hurt are the personal stories, and I'll, I'll read one to you. This is a quote from an agent in the Western United States. I've been an agent for nearly 24 years, and for the last 11 years, my wife of 28 years has battled terminal cancer, and for the first time in my career, we have had to ask for assistance from friends and family to make ends meet. I am proud to be an agent, proud to serve my country, and willing to sacrifice my life in defense of the people and the Constitution. But to have my family placed in financial situation we are currently facing due to partisan politics is disgusting to me as a government employee and a citizen, end quote.
1: Any final thoughts from you, Tom O'Connor, president of the FBI Agents Association.
2: It is the right thing to do to fund the FBI so that we can do our jobs to the fullest, fullest extent. It is the right thing to do to pay people who are doing that job for free. It is unconscionable that this is going on for over 30 days. Unconscionable.
1: And there you have it. Tom O'Connor, president of the FBI Agents Association, with a stark and pretty scary look at how this government shutdown has impacted U.S. national security, at least the part that he was talking about. And as all of you know that listen to this program, this is not a political program. Sometimes we have politicians on to talk about national security, and sometimes we talk about national security and how it impacts politics, but we don't take sides on this program. The bottom line with what I'm trying to say here is U.S. national security is in a really difficult spot right now. Three more items on the program two story updates, and a look at a special intelligence program. First, the story of Paul Whelan. He's the American that was arrested in Moscow several weeks ago. The Russian government says it was because he committed espionage. He was given a thumb drive in a hotel in Moscow. Russia says that that thumb drive contained classified information the family of Paul Whelan says they still have not learned what kind of information was on it or who gave it to him. And we've been digging as well and have not found out. There's also been some serious complications in terms of Paul's representation in Moscow. And this week, we got an update from David Whelan, Paul's brother, uh, in a note, and he said the following things. I'm going to read them to you. He said, Paul's family is disappointed that his detention in a Russian jail will continue, but we were not surprised by the court denying bail. While we still lack any details from the Russian government about why Paul is thought to be a spy and who provided him with the alleged state secrets, we are certain that he was entrapped and is not guilty of espionage. We have not had any information about a USB drive, what was on it, or how it might have materialized in Paul's possession. Unfortunately, David says in the note, today's ruling merely confirms that Paul will remain wrongfully detained for many more months. We're attempting to support his legal defense with the GoFundMe campaign. He also said Paul was able to let us know that he's worried about some health conditions and his ability to communicate with prison medical staff. He's also concerned about translator support and his ability to present his defense in English. The Russian government has also continued to frustrate efforts by the U.K. to meet with Paul, and their cancellation of the U.S. consular visit last week, according to the note, raised additional concerns. The note says it is clear that only government action will return Paul to his family anytime soon. We know that the consular efforts of the U.S., Canada, and Ireland, and U.K., Will keep us aware of Paul's health and ensure his rights are respected but we hope additional steps are taken to bring him home. That's a very sobering note from Paul Whelan's family. And the second story? On February 2nd, unless there is an about-face by Russia, the U.S.-Russia-INF treaty is going to expire. That treaty essentially calls for all medium-range nuclear-capable missiles to be destroyed. Interestingly enough, Russia rolled out yet another missile today, January 23rd, claiming that it's in compliance and the missile proves it. The U.S. has said that demonstration proves nothing. We spoke with State Department Undersecretary for Arms Control and International Security Andrea Thompson about where this leaves the U.S.
3: Yeah, uh, we have shown them, J.J., we have provided them a list of the steps that need to be taken to get into full and verifiable compliance. That is the destruction of the missile, that's the destruction of the launcher. Uh, We provided it to them uh, in previous years, Uh, we provided it to them again yesterday. And as I reminded the Deputy Foreign Minister, you built the system, you know exactly what needs to be done. Uh, to destroy it and get, in, get into compliance, but we provided them with that information. Uh, they said they'd take it back for assessment, uh, but based on uh, the past actions or lack thereof, I don't anticipate them uh, getting back into compliance. We'll continue to abide by our obligations. We'll continue to abide by the treaty.
1: Wow. You know, um, I have to say, Madam Secretary, that this seems like an exercise in futility. Uh, do, do you and your team see, see it that way, uh, considering Russia's attitude towards this? Or is there, is, there, is there a possibility that something would move them, and, and what would that something be?
3: Yeah, there's never futility when it comes to the U.S. national security. I'll continue to press my counterparts. The administration will continue to press. Secretary Pompeo and the team uh, will continue to engage. Uh, again, the, the action needs to be on the Russian side, but uh, we we'd never take our national security lightly. And uh, we'll continue to press Russia on this uh, until they get back into compliance. And, and candidly, if they don't, the secretary's been clear, as he said, on December 4th. We call them a material breach. They have 60 days, uh, and on February 2nd, if they're no long, if they're not in compliance, uh, we'll suspend our obligations, and we'll we'll move forward in the development of our systems to continue to, to protect ourselves and our allies.
1: So we'll be back in a nuclear arms race then.
3: Well, you know, as, as I tell folks, there's not a nuclear arms arms race when uh, when Russia has been violating this treaty for years. Mm. So they've been off to the races for years now, uh, while we continue to do, abide by the treaty. So uh, we'll continue to, to to work the the uh, with our partners and allies. We'll continue to stay united in that. Continue not only in, in messaging but in actions, and ensure that uh, the security and safety of the American people are always uh, always priority number one.
1: That's Andrea Thompson, Undersecretary for Arms Control and International Security. We spoke with her on January 16th. The U.S. says it will wait until the 2nd of February for Russia to come in line with the treaty. If not, the U.S. is going to look out for its own best interest. One final note for this episode. On January 17th, I had the extraordinary opportunity to be invited to and to attend an event at the Defense Intelligence Agency. It was called the heart of mentoring, people, passion, and purpose. I was able to speak to the audience, listen to the audience, and reconfirm, something I've heard many times and seen numerous times with my own eyes, an indisputable fact to me. And that is that when it comes to mentoring, nobody in the intelligence community does it better. The program, the participants, the leadership, and the objective were all quite clear and all very well laid out that they are dedicated to mentoring because without it, they can't achieve their mission. So hats off to DIA. Thank you for the opportunity to spend some time with you and allowing us into your ear. Coming up on our next episode, whether it's terrorist, anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, espionage, and everything in between, you can bet we'll be on it. Right here on Target USA. If you have any questions or comments about the program, drop me a line at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word at whiskey tangooscarpapa.com. That's Green at wtop.com. Also, follow our podcast at USA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha. Podcast. Till the next episode, take care. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.